I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, lead analyst at Free Dawkins on YouTube. And joining me on the phone is Tim Cato. In a little bit, we talk all about the Mavs scrimmage. We talk about the Mavs going into the season. We talk about what he's hearing about the fifth starter, potentially. Uh, we talk about Luke, have a really good conversation about Luca and Porzingis, about um, maybe some downsides, if we can even project some downsides for the pairing. It's just so hard to with how glowingly everyone's been talking about them as a pair. And so we, we talk about that a little bit. Uh, so we'll hear from Tim Cato. But before we do, a couple of housekeeping things. Our five-star reviews are still going on iTunes. We appreciate you guys. I asked Tim Cato about this. But the question today is from Husker. Shout out to the Huskers out there. Who was the worst Mavs draft pick of all time? Which is an interesting question. Tim has a good response. My guess would be that the first-round pick that played the least amount of minutes is Mo Egger. So that would probably be my answer. <laughs> if the guy, he didn't even play over 500 minutes, I think, in the NBA. And he was a first-round pick. That, that's pretty much a bust, I think, at that point, uh, if he's a first-round pick. Tim also has a good answer later, so we'll talk about that. Um, board bets are closed. We have closed the voting for board bets. You missed it. We had over 360 responses, which is awesome. And so we will tally those up and figure out who wins at the end of the season and monitor those and keep up with those. And Isaac and I will react to the results. There's all kind of charts and graphs and stuff. We've been tweeting out some of them, but we'll talk all about that on a different podcast. So there we go. Uh, let's hear from Tim Cato. But before we do that, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com. Enter the code locked on Indochino.com. Coming up, we'll hear from Tim Cato of The Athletic. All right, now joining me, Tim Cato from The Athletic. Tim, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How is, uh, how is Florida treating you? Oh, you know, Florida is just the weirdest state there is still. All the Florida man stories are real, and they live in my neighborhood. All right, you, you haven't become a Florida man yet? You haven't been in any headlines? Like, um, I don't know. What does a Florida man do? Is it anything appropriate for this podcast? It seems uh, like everything is... I, I kind of... I'm, yeah. I'm almost there. I've been feeling left out because uh, I have five adjacent neighbors to the house that I'm living in, and all of them have had the cops called on them except for us, so I'm kind of feeling left out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I feel left out on your behalf. Like, like you're getting FOMO. I gotta on, step uh, up my game. The cops... Maybe the cops are just really cool, and... Um, and you know they just they just like to have a good time, and and you guys aren't having those good times. So maybe maybe you just gotta have have more fun. Yeah, they're really cool responding to all those domestic violence disputes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I, I would I would recommend not doing that one. So <laughs> hey, so that's, that's, that's <laughs> we've been doing these five star iTunes questions, and one of them, the one today, was what is the worst Mavs draft pick of all time? So off the top of your head, I didn't ask you this before, but what's the worst Mavs draft pick you can think of? Um. Oh boy. Um, Justin Anderson, I think, was a solid pick. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Yeah. I, th- I think he lived up to expectations. Jared Cunningham, for sure. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. He played, I think, what seven games for the team, and then maybe thirty overall. And they drafted him. I want to say twenty second. He might have been a little bit later in the first round. He was between twenty first and twenty sixth off the top of my head. I want to say twenty first, but it might have been a little bit lower than that. 
but boy, was that a nothing pick. <laughs> We've had a lot of those the Mavericks have had recently, but uh, they have, right. they've really right. picked it up over the last couple of years, and, and a couple of good drafts can really change your team, and that's kind of what we're seeing with this Mavericks team right now. Uh, the Luca pick, obviously, you know, Jalen Brunson's now he's making he's making marketing campaigns and he's making the billboard. That's that's a big deal. Uh, but we saw the Mavs open practice on Sunday. The Mavericks, of course, coming out with their their ever vigorous attendance numbers said that it was the most attended uh, open practice or fan jam ever. Uh, is that something or nothing? It's something. It's something. I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell my kids one day that I was I was there when Team Blue beat Team White. <laughs> Um, in the uh, the, the 2019-20 intrascard squad scrimmage, uh, no, but in all seriousness, there is there is obviously obviously a palpable excitement about this team. I think that's very clear. I think that this team hasn't had two young players to to really root for. Even when the team, you know, even when the team was good with Dirk, it was not a uh, what could be excitement. It was uh, we know that we're going to be about as good as we were last year once again. And I think I think just being able to ramp up your expectations and your excitement like this team is able to do and also project out, you know, five to ten years, um, certainly five, you know, you'd hope and, and, you know, maybe even ten with how young these players are. Uh, it, it's clear. It's clear that there is a there's a different bit of buzz and, and excitement and, and interest and and people are really excited for the season to be going. So I, I think that that definitely is what the, the open scrimmage showed. And I, I think we knew that. But. I think it's just a continuation of the of the fact that this is an exciting young team team, and it's been 15 years since you could say exciting and young together. They've been exciting. They've they've been young. They are now exciting and young, and <laughs> yeah, that's a cool place to be for Dallas basketball. Especially putting the open practice. It, it's been on Sunday the last couple of years, but it hasn't been as big of a season coming up as this season is. But to have that kind of turnout on a you know a football Sunday in the middle of the day. Uh, I think that was I think that was pretty good for for a Dallas crowd. Um, a couple I was of impressed. couple of I've newsy never, things. I've never seen oh, go ahead. oh yeah, just I, I can vouch. You know, it was I know the Mavericks have you know had however many years of a sellout, but whatever number they came out with at, at this scrimmage was was legitimate. I, I've never seen that many people there, and to, there's people in the in an upper bowl in, in the the kind of second level bowl. There was there was even some people filling into there, so that was that was really impressive. One could say it was a sellout. <laughs> one one could. I, the, the street continues. <laughs> the street continues. Uh, a couple other newsy things. Dwight Powell did not play in the scrimmage. We talked about that yesterday, but he has a left hamstring strain and will not travel to OKC and Detroit. J.J. Barea, with rest, will also not travel to OKC and Detroit, uh, but he is planning on playing the two home games, Friday versus the Bucks and Monday versus OKC. And uh, Carlisle said he has decided on a plan for who is playing in the back-to-back games. There's one coming up tonight which is wild and then wednesday at detroit uh but carlisle said i'm not getting into it what do we think about chris ops porzingis and the rest of the mavs going into this back-to-back what do we what can we expect my working assumption and this is not necessarily sourced but just my understanding of how this team works and and just you know common sense is that you will run you know the 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 a lineup out there for the game one and the that that the second game the wednesday game will be, you know, more backups and bench players. Uh, I mean, that just makes sense to me. It, it doesn't make sense um, to, to play Kristaps and not Luka or Luka and not Kristaps. You know, I think that, you know, you might as well start developing developing the chemistry between those two now. And, you know, maybe, maybe KP could benefit, you know, just obviously any game time for him is beneficial. But, 
you know, why would you play Luca on his own? So yeah, I, I would assume that we see the proper lineup, you know, the 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 A team lineup as much as it can be with without uh, Dwight, um, you know, who is a presumptive starter or a potential starter, however you see him. Um, otherwise, I would assume we we see a, a starting lineup that that is uh, maybe something we're going to see on on opening day. Um, so again, just just my speculation there, but I I, I feel fairly likely that's going to be the outcome yeah it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do if if Porzingis plays in both games then I think that's a really really good sign for his health right that they're not worried at all about him yeah I bet he doesn't I bet he doesn't and I I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad sign obviously you're right it would be a good sign if he played in both but I don't think it's a bad sign if he sits one out yeah I think that's just the natural you know progression that you have with a player who is you know is is 18 months removed from his last NBA game preseason or otherwise so I, I would be. I would. I would imagine that, uh, you know, him and Luca both play and then and then sit game two, just because you know what what exactly are you going to approve necessarily? Um, if Porzingis isn't out there, it's not like Luca has anything to prove or reps that he needs to get. So that's my hunch. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, not necessarily a bad sign if he if he does sit out. Uh, but it'd be a really good sign for his health, I think, if he he plays both of them. But we'll for see. Sure, sure. So, but at least the game tonight, uh, and we're recording this around four thirty on Monday. So if things change, which they always do, this the news cycle just moves so fast. We do a daily podcast, and still sometimes our podcasts are expired by the time they come out. Um, things can always change. Uh, with this preseason, though, these these next couple of games, especially if you know Porzingis does sit out, Luca does sit out, this back to back. What can who has the biggest chance to increase their role on this team or rise to another level uh, during the preseason? I might be going deeper here than you expected, but I, I've, I'm hearing a lot of really good buzz about Josh Reeves. And I think he was even really solid at the at the open scrimmage. Now, I was too. I, I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not saying that he's he's about to barge into the rotation and play 82 games, but um, I, I I think that he. You know, a really good preseason showing, which is expected from him with the way he's been playing in, uh, in training camp and, and you know, just been looking overall to to employees and, and people who have been watching him. I, I think that he's expected to, to be really good and, and then challenge, you know, uh, certainly pending injuries. I, I think that he's a he's a he would he's a call up candidate and, and maybe even beyond that is is, you know, the most optimistic view that I've, I've heard from people is that they'd love for him to just challenge purely out of merit for a spot, you know, as a, as an athletic, uh, wing defender, you know, I think he's, uh, he's saying six, five, let's say I have it. Yeah. He's six, five on basketball reference. So, you know, he's able to, you know, play some wing and, and defend some, you know, threes, you know, clearly something the team is sorely lacking. And, you know, that, that jump shot, I think, you know, it was, it was off and on in, um, in, uh, in, in summer league, but, you know, I think, I think there's hope, uh, you know, his, his, his form looks good. You know, I think there's certainly hope that, you know, he develops into a, you know, a, a capable shooter. And uh, I think that would be, you know, really a huge development. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I do. And, and I guess I, get, I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to Reeves is because I think I have a pretty good handle um, on most of the roster. I think a lot of us have a good handle on, you know, who these players are. There's there's a fair amount of continuity. And the, the non-continuity is Seth Curry, who we have seen before, and Daylon Wright, who I think everybody expects to start. So, you know, outside of, you know, the 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 core of the team is feels to me like it's pretty established. So I, I guess with that question, I kind of immediately go and, and start looking at, at players who are more on the fringes who have a chance to break in. Yeah. And Josh Reeves has a real 
Carlisle friendly game, right? Like he he's gonna play defense. He's gonna play hard nosed defense. He's gonna be a try hard. Uh, I call him the sweaties, which is like a video game term of guys that just try really hard all the time and they just don't have an off button. Uh, and I think that that can translate really well. You know, a guy like Dwight Powell. You kind of think of Justin Anderson. Even you mentioned um, he. It's kind of a guy like that that's just going to try really hard. He's going to be out there. Carlisle's going to like him. And so he may get a boost just because Carlisle likes him, which we've, <laughs> we've definitely seen happen before. Um, you right, t- you right. mentioned like we, we have an idea of this whole roster. Are there players on this team that have higher ceilings or potential that we're not that we're not seeing? Or, or who can jump up to another level on this team? Because it seems like we kind of know who all these guys are, like you said. Is there anybody you think that could surprise us and maybe jump up to another level? Not not the Luca Porzingis, you know, duo, but somebody else. I would I would immediately point to uh, the two guards whose playing time I'm a little bit confused exactly how it's going to shake out. They both obviously will have roles, and those two are Jalen Brunson and Seth Curry. Uh, there's been some good buzz for Jalen Brunson. He obviously ended the season on a fantastic note, and you know I, I'm I'm curious to see how. He would, uh, you know, just he, he's the he's the guy who I have the hardest time figuring out a role for because I do think that he is a better on ball player than off. Clearly, he's a good shooter, but I, I think that you know his skills and his ability, the, the reason he's on the court, comes out with the ball in his hand. Um, so, so I'm curious how he pencils in, you know, how how the team is staggered. I, I do kind of think Luca will be staggered into the second unit some, um, sometimes. So, so I wonder how that will work. Um, whether whether maybe maybe Luca actually is the guy who stays on for nine minutes and then Jalen Brunson comes in and, and maybe he's the guy running the second unit and maybe KP's out there. Um, and then Seth Curry, of course, you know, has some ball handling ability. I'm curious, like like his skill set seems to make a lot more sense with the starting unit. I don't think I don't get the sense he's gonna be the starter, but I do think his shooting makes the most sense when you have Luca and Kristaps on the floor. Um, you know, especially if you're planning to run Luca KP pick and rolls, it would make a lot of sense to have Seth in the corner. So I, I wonder, you know, just how exactly the minutes, where the minutes come from, you know, how able, uh, how much those two can can rise to the occasion. And, you know, Jalen, of course, is a young player coming into his second year, certainly has the ability to break out, um, you know, even more, add stuff to his game. I don't think that he has the highest highest ceiling of, you know, of, of a second year player, you know, not, not, then that's not a, not to diminish him by any means. You just, you know, he's not one of those second year players, which is a massive, massive upside. Um, but but clearly, you know, he came into his game as the season progressed. And, you know, it's sounding like like he's doing more of that in training camp. So just exactly where his role comes from and just exactly how Seth Curry factors into that, whether he's someone who, who the, he's like the first sub off the bench to make sure he gets some playing time with with Luca and KP. Um, you know, whether he's someone who could close games, that that's something I theorized earlier this offseason. Um, I kind of interweave those two together, but um, I, I think those are the two players I'm most interested in. Um, just exactly where they play, just you know, uh, in, in the rotation itself, uh, more logistical, uh, and then also just you know how they how they actually do, and and whether you know both of them are are gonna play to the level we expect them to, which you know. It, I, I think that'd be fine. I, nobody would be disappointed, of course, if, if they play to the level they, they're expected to. But, you know, I, I wonder if, if there's even a little bit of upward mobility for both of them to to be even more surprising or even more impressive and carve out an even uh, bigger role for themselves as, as the season progresses. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's that's a huge question going into the preseason. And with J.J. out, we're not really going to get an answer to that as far as where the minutes are allocated to. It kind of seems like we're going to get the normal, you know, DeLon Wright with, with Luka and then... 
who are the other you know two guards off the bench are Brunson and Curry, and then it's just kind of that's kind of your your standard lineup you know change, and then wherever JJ Barea kind of fills in, that's kind of we're kind of gonna have to wait a couple games to try and figure that out. Um, I want to ask you about. Luca and Porzingis because it's the the most exciting thing after the scrimmage. I think, I think the Luca and Porzingis stock was the highest maybe it's ever been, which is kind of weird considering they've had uh, a lot of uh, success in their careers. But I want to ask you about them. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, what do we want to see from Luca and Porzingis during the preseason? And is there a scenario this season where the KP and Luca duo goes bad in any way? All right, Tim. So, what are we expecting to see from Luca and Porzingis this preseason? What are you looking for? What is something that you say I want to see Luca and Porzingis show me this this preseason, if anything? Hmm. Yeah. Um. I want to see them run pick and rolls. I'm I'm so interested. I mean, they they did that at scrimmage, but I want to see those two together. I, I want to see them playing off each other. I want to see them, you know, starting to build chemistry. I think chemistry can be an overplayed word a little bit, but certainly like like the two-man game like we're so familiar with the Dirk and Jason Terry two-man game that used to be a term just constantly used I, there's a, I think another podcast uh, maybe one of the math.com's podcasts brought this up where we're about to start hearing the the two-man game that phrase a lot um, and I, I think that's exactly right you know I, I think that you know um, I, I do wonder that it might be the, the the game clincher it might be something where early on in the game because Porzingis is kind of like a seven foot three Clay Thompson and his ability to run off screens and, you know, spot up and, and, and do interesting things off the ball. I wonder if that we don't get a, you know, the Mavericks don't uh, run a bigger dose of that to start games with the starting lineup. And then as the game progresses, when they really need some points, they go to that Luca Kristaps uh, pick and roll. And, and that way they have the ability to kind of uh, orientate a lineup around them, potentially with Seth Curry and other good shooters that is uh, that is more able to space the floor and really give Luca and Chris Stapps room to operate. Um, you know, ideally, you know, you're going to have situations where Chris Stapps, you know, faints to the three and then, you know, his defender bites and all of a sudden the lanes are wide open. I bet I bet we get a lot of wide open Chris Stapps dunks as the as the season goes along. Um, you know, I think that's definitely something that that should be expected. Um, so that's that's really what I, I'm most in, you know most interested in seeing. Just seeing glimmers of those two start to come together um, as as two players who can play off the because we know they can. We know that their skill sets mesh so well together. Um, and I guess I'm just ready to to start seeing it and seeing exactly how it looks. It's not that I'm all terribly you know. It's not like I have concerns or, or I'm scared that it's not going to work. I, I feel pretty confident it will. Uh, I'm just ready to start seeing that happen. Yeah, just like the rest of this team, and maybe it's the fact that we think about this team literally every day, is that their games are are very compatible. And so we've already kind of formulated in our heads how they're going to play together. And so we're like, we just want to see it, right? I don't think there's going to be a lot of things that surprise us. And if it does, then we we can't expect it, right? It's just going to come out of nowhere. Um, But it's hard to think of. And I've been, you know, we've been sitting here ever since the trade back in February trying to think of how this duo can surprise us and we haven't come up with it now i mean i don't don't think we're gonna come up with it before the preseason game so we're finally just gonna see it and it'll be interesting to see what we can pull from it um do you think there's a scenario where that kp and luca duo goes bad in a way like what are the downsides of it we talk about how their games are so compatible but are there any just to go down darkest timeline is there any way that this could go bad they they try like a your turn my turn kind of thing and the offense isn't as flowy as we expect it to be or something like that I don't. I don't think it could go bad. I, I think that the the floor of this is is pretty high. 
Um, and, and obviously, you know, outside of injuries, of course, that's that's the big Porzingis question. But but in terms of them both being healthy on the court, um, I, I find it very hard to believe that they wouldn't be, you know, playing at a at a pretty high level. Um, I, I think the worst thing that could happen, or you know, the the worst case scenario, the darkest timeline, as you say. Um, is that Kristaps and Luca, one or even both, are not quite as good of three-point shooters as we think they are. Um, we both know they're they're very capable of hitting shots. Of course, Luca, you know his step back. Kristaps is you know just has one of the smoothest jumpers I've ever seen as as from somebody that tall. Um, just just a just a beautiful looking shot. That said, Luca, or uh, sorry, Kristaps only hit forty percent one year and only did it for forty eight games. Uh, you know before his injury. Before that, I have his stats up, and he shot 36% on about five attempts. In his rookie year, he shot 33%. I think that's a natural progression. That doesn't concern me. That is, you know, what a young player coming into the league, adapting, adjusting to the three-point line is going to do. Um, but if it turns out that Kristaps that is closer to a 35% shooter than a, than a 40% shooter, I think that that does change the dynamic a little bit. And similarly, of course, you know, Luca's three-point percentage dropped as the season went along. Um, a huge part of that, I, I've been saying this for, for, you know, even when the season was happening, most of it was just the looks he was taking, the fact that he was, you know, taking a lot of isolation threes, that he wasn't getting a lot of catch-and-shoot looks, and also that, you know, he had tired legs. Um, the Mavs actually... Uh, uh, some people on the analytics staff looked into it, and uh, he had the same drop-off as the uh, Real Madrid season went along, where his three-point percentage just kind of dropped as the season. And it, it was a, that was a similarly long season uh, they played into the summer. Um, so, I, so I think a lot of what Luca's concerns are is, is conditioning and, and fatigue as, as the season wears on, and that's why his percentage fell off. Um, but what if it does turn out that you know both of them are more 35%, 34% shooters than, than otherwise – you know, the league will eventually catch on to that. And it does, you know, does limit the damage that that pick and roll can cause. It does mean that teams can, you know, have more confidence going under a pick and roll, going under a screen, you know, not sticking quite as closely uh, to either player. Um, and that, of course, allows them to, uh, you know, to, to limit Luca from driving as often and and make sure that Chris Stubbs doesn't get those wide open you know, dives into the lane and stuff like that. So I think that's the worst case scenario. And while it's not something that's terribly concerning to me, it is something I'm, you know, keeping an eye on and just making sure that, you know, it's not necessarily the percentage of the, you know, the numbers don't mean anything inherently, you know, you know, they're all contextually are all based on what the shots they're actually taking and what's actually happening with those, with those looks that they're getting. Um, but they got to make threes and they got to make them at a, you know, the higher they make them, the higher clip they make them at, the more dangerous those two players will be together. Um, so I, I'd say that's probably the the biggest area for variability outside of injury that I see for that duo. It's an interesting concept that if your three-point percentage, you know, doesn't go up to like the 40% or stay at the 39 and a half where Porzingis was, that players will act and, and respond to your uh, pick and pops or pick and rolls a little differently. And I wonder if, you know, I was reading your uh, one-on-one with Seth Curry where you ask him, like, do you look at analytics? And he's like, no, nah, I don't look at analytics. And I just wonder how players, they probably have to rely more on eye tests because they're there. Like, they're, they're literally the ones that are there. And if a jumper looks good, is, is Porzingis, are Porzingis and Luca always just going to get that, um, that kind of, those kind of, that kind of space or uh, the, what am I? What am I trying to say? They're they're always going to be viewed as a threat from that three point line just because right. of how their jumpers look. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, that's that's a good place to go next with this. And um, 
I want to say uh, Mike Prada of, of SB Nation, my old boss, he wrote an article about um, Marcus Smart. Um, I, I hope I'm getting the details on this right, but but what I recall is is he wrote about the the idea that Marcus Smart more players track him and follow him because he shoots so confidently, mm-hmm. even though his percentages are down in like 31, 32, 33 percent. So I absolutely think you're right, and that even if Porzingis is shooting 33 percent in December, it's not like teams or defenders are suddenly not going to pay attention to him. Um, so you're right. I, I, it would it would probably have to be a couple couple seasons of sample size until you know players. Yeah, they certainly have the idea that Chris Epps is a shooter and that Luca is a shooter, and they that is something that will continue even if their percentages aren't there to some extent. Um, that said, if the percentages are lower, the Mavs are scoring fewer points, and that will affect your win total. So even if the respect is still given by defenders. You still want them making those shots, of course. Obviously, you know that's that's the that's the um, you know the goal of basketball. So um, I, I think I think you're a little bit right. Uh, I, I think that you know, I think we're both kind of right in what we're saying, <laughs> in that you know the respect will be there, and it's yeah. still good. It's still important that they knock down the shots. And I think you know I'm sure you agree that that ultimately I'm not super concerned about this. I'm sure you're not either. Um, until you know, worst case scenario, something like that actually manifested on the court. Yeah, we're just grasping at straws trying to figure out what is a bad case scenario. But we've talked so much glowingly about these guys. And sometimes I just feel like we talk so positively about them. We're like, man, could this go wrong in any way that we're not seeing? And so it's just an interesting way to, to try and look at that. Um, have we right, learned like, any? Have we learned anything yeah. about the fifth starter? I, I don't feel like we have yet. Yeah. Um, I, Rick wouldn't, Carlisle wouldn't even lock Daylon Wright in. Uh, Dwight Powell into into starting roles, you know, so far, you know, he said, you know, we're probably going to start Luca and Chris Apson. Outside of that, it's going to be flexible. So I think the assumption is that Dalen Wright is almost certainly the starter. I'm pretty confident Powell is as well. Um, you know, of course, like you said, you know, we're really just looking at the fifth starter. But even then, you know, Rick, Rick if that Rick won't even you know, lock into the third and fourth, certainly means that he's not going to start talking about you know who's going to be the fifth guy out there. So my hunch. Uh, my my preference, I think, is probably Justin Jackson. My hunch is Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, but I also think that Rick is right that it is going to be flexible and that um, it's probably going to be twenty games of sample size. And by December, we may have a different starting lineup than what starts so you know the season. And and they're going to look at lineup da- data. They're going to look at you know how. Justin Jackson and, and um, Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. They're going to look at how all of the three of those perform with starters, with bench units, and they're probably going to make a decision on on, on who they like. And um, you know, if if it's Hardaway to start and he runs away with the role, then then sure, it's probably his for a while. And if he starts slumping, then I think they're they're definitely open and and to to changing things up and seeing how another player in that starting lineup would look. And you know, I think that's probably even the case for for Dwight Powell and. And Maxi Kleba, and, and to a certain extent, maybe even Daylon and Seth. Although I feel much less confident about saying that, you know, I, I do think Seth would fit really well, um, even as the fifth starter. I even theorize that that Seth would be a great fit as the fifth starter. You know, it'd make the team a little bit smaller, but you know, his his weaknesses and strengths line up, you know, match up, mismatch with uh with Daylon Wright's weaknesses and strengths, where Daylon can he can take the tougher tougher guard matchup, and Seth can make up for some shooting, but that doesn't seem super likely at the moment. So. Uh, 
that was a roundabout way to say no. I no, don't know yeah. <laughs> who the fifth starter on this team is going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, the, it's a big question right now, uh, and it's kind of nice to have a team that is is deep enough that we're not just okay. Our starters are penciled in, you know, Dennis, West, Harrison. Like we definitely know who the starters are, uh, and then there's nobody else really that could even contend with those guys. It's kind of nice to have some competition and to have some guys rise to the top. And you mentioned chemistry earlier, and kind of. Um, JJ Barea and Devin Harris had, like scored two extra buckets a game just based on chemistry with their backdoor, you know, cuts and just knowing where each other was going to be on the court. There's going to be that with this team with a lot of you know newer players coming together and playing. There's just going to be some maybe Brunson and Porzingis just have such great chemistry that it forces Carlisle to play that lineup a little bit more. Uh, it's just going to happen between two random players, and I'm interested to see who who it's going to be that uh, ends up being okay. Do you, so you don't believe that you think that Tim Hardaway Jr is uh that's your hunch who it's gonna be do you buy himself comparing himself to michael finley yeah i mean obviously he's not michael finley (laughs) so you know i i i I try not to like i think it's dumb to like dunk on a player for having for like having self-confidence even if it's like too much bravado you know even if they're they're getting you know as long as they're not like going the lavar ball route uh, as a player (laughs) you know i'm pretty okay with them having a pretty high view of themselves um, Hardaway is not Michael Finley. He's, he's certainly not, um, you know, Finley was a fantastic player and, and definitely a, a step above what Hardaway has ever been in his career. And that's not a slight, I don't think, you know, it's just yeah. objectively looking at what Hardaway has been over the course of his career. Uh, Hardaway did talk, you know, I, I think it was wrapped up in that answer or maybe right before or right after he did talk a lot about how, um, he's open, you know, he wants to start, but he, every player wants to start. And if he doesn't, he's going to accept it, uh, and, and, and go into the season and be okay with it. Uh, that little bit made me wonder if, if maybe there's our, maybe Rick has already had some conversations with him that he's not going to be the starter or there's a chance he won't be. Um, so maybe I'm wrong about my hunch. Um, I also like that in, um, I even wrote about this on the athletic. I wrote a, uh, a, a cautiously optimistic case for Tim Hardaway jr. And in that same Finley answer, he talked. I think he said the these exact words unprompted. It was not in the question. the The word efficiency was not used in the question asked to him. And later on in that Finley answer, he said, "I know I'm going to have to be more efficient. I know I'm going to have to be more effective with my shooting selection and stuff like that." And so that was really encouraging and optimistic to me, or uh, to just to hear him realize that you know this this 32% on threes and under 40% from the field is just not going to cut it. Um, and also wrapped up, I think a little bit later on in his media day presser, he said that um, he said that the, the the surgery he underwent had really been bothering him down the stretch of last season. That he wasn't really able to lift off, I believe, his left leg. Um, could be I'm almost certain it was left leg. If it was right, that's that's my fault. Um, but but he had he had uh, injury issues. He he wasn't able to really lift off. So I, I think that if if you know, I, I saw like even at summer league, like Rick was sitting next to Tim Hardaway a lot. If he's able to get home uh, to him, like like Tim Hardaway, I, I could have brought him up earlier when he said people, I guess, with kind of upward mobility, where they have a chance to to be a little bit more impressive or, or successful uh, than maybe we're anticipating. And certainly, I'm rooting for him. You know, it's, it doesn't it doesn't hurt anybody to have some optimism about him going into the season. And yeah. you know, maybe maybe he very quickly disproves it, but. Uh, I think that's a reasonable thing to hope for that that he sees himself, he, he sees the team around him, and he realizes that he has to be a bit more efficient. He has to be a bit, uh, you know, knock knock down a few more threes. Uh, he's he's done it in a couple seasons, so maybe it's possible. And hopefully, the thing I'm really rooting for is is that he's able to really get back to the rim again. 
that it, that he can turn back into a cutter and a slasher and a driver um, off of spot up looks. And I think that would be hugely beneficial to this team um, if he's able to get some get them some points at the points at the rim um, in in scenarios where it's it's Luca kicking to him, drawing two players and kicking it out to him or, or something like that. So um, I, I don't know if his uh, his past few seasons have given us a lot of reasons to be uh, fully optimistic, but I'm choosing to be uh, can't hurt. And uh, I guess we'll see soon enough. I can't let you go without asking you this. In your uh, seven biggest storylines article you wrote on the Athletic a little while ago, one of them was when will this team redesign its look? The Mavericks are coming out with these statement jerseys. What kind of statement are the Mavs trying to make with these jerseys? Well, from everything I've seen, I haven't seen the jersey yet. It's been described to me, um, but I've seen the the branding on the tickets and stuff. It's it's going to be different. I think that different is often worth trying, even if you miss especially for a one-year project. Like, I don't hate the idea of them going ambitious and, you know, let's try something that, that teams have not tried before. That said, from the branding on the on the, uh, on the the statement, ticket sales and stuff like that, I don't have high hopes of, of loving these jerseys. <laughs> they're just one year. They're, they're going to be here and they're going to be gone. So when it comes down to it, I, I don't think that it's like some some grand travesty or anything I, I think the the bigger the bigger issue for me remains that their home and away jerseys are kind of dull and uninteresting and just kind of a uh kind of a dated look that's that's my biggest issue when i did a story about it this summer uh the actual designer of those jerseys of the logo of their current logo agreed it was like yeah it's probably time for a new look so if those guys think it's time then then certainly it, it might be time so i think that's my biggest issue i, I i'm not gonna you know, I might not love whatever the statement jersey is, and and I guess the statement is new and interesting, and I I, I hope they nail it, and I hope that uh, it it does look good. I, I so far I'm I'm not super optimistic about it, but um, but I guess we'll see. But but again, I think the the thing I want to come back to is that I think the biggest bigger issue is that I think the uh, the jerseys as a whole are are it's it's just time for a refresh. I think every team after about 20 years probably gets there, unless you're the Celtics or the Lakers. So. That's where I am. That's that's kind of how I feel, and uh, I, uh, I hopefully it comes sooner than later. All right, Cato, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll hear from you throughout the rest of the season. You can read Tim Cato on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, Tim Cato, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure I'll be back soon. Peace out. Boom. Boom.